Good evening, church. We thank God for allowing us to uh, to worship again tonight. We're thankful that you're here, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your attendance. Uh, thank you for your presence, and thank God for His blessings upon us. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. Merciful, masterful, heavenly Father, great and awesome God in heaven, hallowed be your great and amazing name. As we think about the beginning of time that you presented to us, you created all things. You rested on the seventh day. And Lord God, as we, we acknowledge your greatness, that you're able to create all of the things that are seen and unseen in just six days, it shows and demonstrates your power. Help us, Lord God, to surrender to your will, knowing that you know what's best and you know all things. Bless us, Lord God, to surrender our lives to you, knowing that you care for us and that your will is always the best will and the right way to go. Strengthen us, please. Forgive us. Bless us. Guide us. Guard us. Lead us and direct us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be that will. Amen. Please turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. I wanted tonight, because um, I've been going over and speaking of, of the idea of dispensations of time, God's dispensation, four dispensations, the second dispensation. Well, then I was asked the question, well, what, what is a dispensation, if you will, or how does the idea of a dispensation work in the Word of God? And so I felt like I needed to talk about that just a bit uh, this evening. So a dispensation is a divinely appointed age, right? So a divinely appointed age of time that, that God is amazing. God controls the times. And you get to see God's control of the times through the dispensations that he has given to us. I want to look at the scriptures and try to understand how to accurately uh, separate or divide the times as the Bible has given that information to us. So these are very distinct periods of time that God has given to us. The patriarchal dispensation is the first. So this is when God spoke directly to the heads of the households. And this dispensation technically begins with Adam. Uh, You'll find the idea in the scriptures of it going from Abraham uh, over uh, to um, Egypt's call. Look at Hebrews 7 and verse 4. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And so when you read that patriarch, we're talking about an era of time, a head of a household or the head of the father's households. Acts chapter 7. He was also a head as God's chosen instrument and God's chosen man. Now Acts 7 Beginning at verse 8, the Bible gives us more information. It says, And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. And yet God was with him. And so now we have the sons, the twelve sons, called the patriarchs, right? So these are the leaders, the, the heads of the household. This, this particular time period, uh, which includes those 12 sons of Israel, it's important that we understand 
what God is telling us. Because just because the word patriarch is in front of the name of an individual, or even describes an individual, you've got to separate the time out. So look over at Acts for just a moment. I'll give you an example. Chapter 2, and let's look at Acts 2 and verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So Abraham was a, has a, had a covenant, if you will, time. But David, was David a patriarch under the patriarchal order or dispensation? And the answer is no, he was not. In fact, one distinguishing mark of the patriarchs is that the patriarchal dispensation had men that were also priests who could offer sacrifices to God. We've been talking about that. So David, though he's a patriarch, was not under the patriarchal dispensation. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. And so when we're looking at um, even some New Testament uh, doctrines or dogmas, if you will, you know, you got to go back to the beginning to get a real good understanding of what God is trying to tell us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, please. Hebrews chapter 1. So David is called the patriarch, but he's under a different dispensation of time. Under Moses, if you will, the patriarch David was not a priest. So the patriarchal dispensation actually ends with the law of Moses. So here's what God tells us. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, these are the patriarchs, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. So God spoke to the patriarchs. I want us to think about a law. Let's think about a law for just a moment. Go to John 7 and verse 22. A law can be repeated by God. So when you're talking to people and they say to you, um, well, you know, the law of Moses said, and you think about, okay, what did Moses say? And how does that law pertain to us today? Right? Are there laws under the law, the, the law of Moses that pertain to us today. And some folks will go back there and gain a doctrine under the wrong order of time or dispensation of time. Hebrews 7 and verse 22, I want to give you an example. Hebrews 7, 22. The Bible says, on this account, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. So this text is saying, all right, under the law of Moses, there is circumcision. There's no question about it. God gave the law. Turn back to Genesis, please. Genesis uh, chapter 17. So God gave the law, and it was important that they followed that law, but it distinguishes out where that law originated from. It did not originate from Moses, okay? It originated under a different dispensation of time, but it was carried over into the law of Moses, and then I'll show you how it carries over into the New Testament. So, now Genesis chapter 17, the Bible says beginning at verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So here's a specific commandment from 
God to Abraham. It was a covenant relationship. It carried over into the law of Moses, and it carries all the way over into the New Testament. Let me show you what happens. In the book of Romans, chapter 2. Romans, chapter 2. Here's what happens with the law. The law can be given and repeated in a different dispensation of time, but give us a different reason for that particular law, or give us a different use of that law. Circumcision. Romans 2, verse 25. The Bible says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore the uncircumcision, un- uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are transgressors of the law? For he is not a, a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So the idea of circumcision carried from the physical, patriarchal, physical, mosaical, to the spiritual in Christ, right? Circumcision of the heart. And so what God does over and over again in the Bible is when we're thinking about a a Bible doctrine, we go all the way back to Genesis, and you'll find in most cases that Bible doctrine in Genesis and it carries maybe through the law of Moses, or maybe it goes around the law of Moses and is picked up in the New Testament. And one day we'll talk about some of the doctrine of the Lord's church, and you'll see that they originate, if you will, pre-Mosaic law, which is really important, and then are carried around it. We'll get to that when we get there. So the Mosaic dispensation. Deuteronomy chapter 5, please. The Mosaic dispensation was a dispensation of time that dealt with the Jews... And the proselytes. In other words, it dealt only with the Jews and those who maybe left their, their religious ideas, right? And they came to live with the Jews and follow the laws of the Jews. Those are called proselytes. But when we think about the law of Moses, nothing in the law of Moses that Jesus or the apostles do not give us in the New Testament can carry into our dogma or doctrine or belief today. Right? So when someone comes to us and asks us about the Sabbath or different laws of Moses, if it is not repeated or restated or re-given to us by God, in the New Testament, we don't follow those laws. That's a different dispensation. Now listen to what God says in chapter 1, I mean chapter 5, excuse me, verse 1. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I'm speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. So, you can't take the law of Moses and go backwards and apply those laws to the patriarchs. Nor will you be able to take the law of Moses and apply it to people of the world, Gentiles. Nor can you take the law of Moses and carry it into the New Testament. It has its own 
dispensation of time. God's dispensation. Exodus chapter uh, 31. I want to give you an example under the law of Moses that is really critical when you're thinking about people who say, well, we should follow the Ten Commandments and we should be able uh, or, or at least have enough Bible knowledge to be able to say to people we do not follow or live by the Ten Commandments of God, the law of Moses. We don't. We follow the laws of Christ. Now, if one of those commandments, one of the 600 plus commandments under the law of Moses are repeated in the New Testament by Jesus for us to follow or the apostles uh, by the divine uh, direction of the Holy Spirit, then yes, we follow them. But if it's not brought over, we do not. So, Exodus uh, chapter 31, beginning at verse 15. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. Now, I love reading that scripture. Anyone that says to me, well, you got to follow the old law. And I say, okay, well, have you ever broken the Sabbath? And they say, yea or nay. And then I say, well, what's the Bible say about you? What shall we do? Right? Well, that's the old law. Exactly. It's the old law now, right? Of course it's the old law. That's the old law. Now, we have a Sabbath rest, but it's in heaven. Let's continue reading in verse 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath. Now, notice it was not speaking to Gentiles. Right? Not only was it not speaking to Gentiles regarding the Sabbath, it's not speaking to the patriarchs either. No one can ever show you Adam, Abraham, you know, none of those folks back there, Jacob. You can't, you won't see them following the Sabbath, even though the Sabbath originates and is given to us in Genesis chapter 2. But he says to these people who are here, who are children of Israel, this law was given to them only. Verse 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And that means until change is all that really means. Uh, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. Sons of Israel, not the Gentiles. Sons of Israel, not the patriarchs. Sons of Israel, not the Christians, right? Just them in this dispensation of time forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth but on the seventh day, he has ceased from his labor and was refreshed. Okay, now that Sabbath does not originate, if you will. The word Sabbath, the idea of what the Sabbath is, originates in Genesis chapter 2. But the keeping of the Sabbath changes under the law of Moses and changes again under the Christian dispensation of time. Because for us, our Sabbath rests in heaven, right? We rest as God rested. They never rested as God rested. They went back to work on Monday. We don't go back to work. Once we leave here and get to be with God, we don't have to go back to work again. Another day we'll deal with that. Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians chapter 3. So under the Mosaic dispensation, there were laws specifically given to them. Now, someone has said uh, on, on occasion, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he practiced the Sabbath. And you look at the apostles in the early days, they were practicing. Well, they were still under the Mosaic dispensation, Right. And we'll, we'll watch the change of the transfer here in just a moment. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, 
we are no longer under a tutor. And so that law obviously has changed or stopped because there's a new way to live under Jesus. Romans 10, please. And verse 4, a very, a very blatant statement from God that is, is crystal clear. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 10. The Bible says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It ended with Christ. But the reality is, the law of Moses technically ended with John. So it, 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 it Christ ends the law. We, we, we have clarity there. We understand that it was the blood of Jesus that made the, the, the changeover for the new dispensation of time. But John was a way preparer who brought a different kind of teaching. If you look at John's teaching, John is not telling you to look back to Moses. John tells you to look forward to Christ. Now let's look at a scripture on that. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. So John is technically a dispensation unto himself. Luke 16 and verse 16. Listen to what it says. It says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. So when John comes along, he starts talking about this kingdom that is in view to come. This kingdom that's on its way. And he starts teaching a baptism for the remission of sins in this new order of way. In, in view of something that's on its way. And that is the Messiah, the kingdom that will be established by the Messiah. Turn to Acts, please. Chapter uh, 18. So there was an issue, if you will. So now we have this Christian dispensation. And, and these folks are saying, okay, well, we have, we have understood God. And we, we learn from John. We follow John's teachings about the Messiah and about the church, and we praise God for it. We have been baptized uh, as God had commanded us to be baptized, but there's only one issue. When John's dispensation changes, that baptism is no longer valid. Really important, right? So these folks in Acts 18 have come into uh, an, an issue, if you will, in verse 24. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was a mighty, was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. You see the problem there? John's baptism, now that Jesus has come, has died, buried and rose from the dead, John's baptism is no longer valid. We have now God's new dispensation of time, and that's Jesus. And so when one wants to come to Jesus, though all of these things brought us to Jesus, now in order to come to Jesus, one must be baptized in the name of Christ for salvation. Luke 24, please. Luke chapter 24. And verse 44. And so the, the prophecy says, uh, Now he said to them, These things, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so all these teachings came about the Jesus, the Christ, to the world. 
It leads us to Jesus. They led us to Jesus. Matthew 5, please. They all led us to everything was about everything is and everything was about Jesus, right? So Matthew 5 and verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Well, think about that. If he abolished the law and the prophets, it would contradict Luke 24, 44, where he says, I had to fulfill all things spoken to me by the law and the prophets. So he says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So he came to fulfill the laws and the prophets, or messages, if you will, that related directly to him. Now the question is, when did he fulfill that, uh, all those prophecies and the law? So John chapter 19 tells us, shows us when he fulfilled those things of the law. John 19, we'll look at verse uh, 28, I believe. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. What was accomplished? The fulfillment of everything. The law and the prophets. And now he's dying on the cross as the law and the prophets had said. There were things that he had to say on the cross. There were things he had to do on the cross, right? Everything now was finished. And this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. The very last thing, if you will, when you in the scriptures, the very thing he had to do and had to say. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, it had to happen according to the prophecy. It's not finished yet. But now that he's received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That was the end, right? Of all things spoken of in the law of Moses and the prophets, all that was said about him, he accomplished it all. And he says, it is finished. And then the Bible says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He came to do exactly what he did. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. So we can look at the Bible and we can read all the prophecies made about Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, even those made under the patriarchal dispensation. And we can read everything that was stated about Jesus and even John and everything that was stated about Jesus and see the fulfillment in Christ and then see the end of time, if you will, and the beginning of a new dispensation through Jesus on the cross. Now, we know the church, the Christian dispensation, still hasn't begun. Even though Jesus died on the cross, it began in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the saints and the church began. Right? So we have uh, the patriarchal dispensation. We have the Mosaic dispensation. We have John's dispensation, if you will. And now today, we have the Christian dispensation. And there's nothing added. There's nothing, there's nothing left. There's no more coming. Turn to Jude, verse 3. Th- this is it. When people start talking about, uh, you know, premillennialism and postmillennialism and amillennialism and, and this, you know, the, the rapture and the rapture theory and all, n- there's none of that. This is, this is it. Right? Jude 3, 
Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is it. One time. We have it right here in our hands. This is, this is it. We are living in the last dispensation of time on earth. And then comes the end, which is actually the beginning, right? The end for the earth is the beginning of new things. Second Peter, please. Chapter 3. The end on earth is the beginning of what is new. God says in verse 8, Do not let this one thing of uh, fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Don't let people confuse you with that verse and say, see, there's a millennium coming. That's not, that's not what this verse is talking about. Okay. And it says the Lord, not, not to us. There's right? a distinction in time. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God on the account in which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So all of this is going to burn up, right? All of it. There's no way you can have a millennial time or a rapture time. It's all going to burn up. It's not just the, the, the earth that's going to burn up. The heavens are going to, everything is going to be gone. Because it's, that's it. This is it. So it's important and imperative that we have our lives right with God in this time. Because there is no other. There are no second chances. This is it. Now, Second Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us the end. It's not just the end of, of humanity. But it, it tells us kind of the order of things that will come our way where God will take his people home to be with him. Individually and collectively. Right? Individually and collectively. So, here's what he says in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So here... He's challenging them and saying, you know, I know that, you know, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, and your fathers have been, have been tortured. Some of them have been killed by the Romans, right? By, by the wicked Jews, by, by evil that's happened. But that's not the end, right? That's not the end. You see, you see, the end is going to come, but it's not the end. When the end comes, all of this is going to burn up. But for them individually, they have a new beginning and a totally new time, if you will. I don't want to call it a dispensation, but I don't want to confuse it with the earth. For we, if we believe that Jesus 
died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, God says, look, in this last dispensation of time, the Christian era, Jesus is coming back. And those who have gone on before us, don't, don't worry about them. They're all right. right. You live your life for Jesus, like the Bible said in Peter. You live your life in a holy conduct. You honor God. You stay faithful to Jesus until Jesus returns. And when he returns, the whole earth and the heavens, all of it will melt with intense heat. All of it will be destroyed. You stay faithful to God. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. A resurrection. Not something new. You saw it in the Old Testament, and you see it in the New Testament, and it's going to happen again. The dead in Christ are going to get up. Right? Isn't that great? The dead in Christ... In, in the in the paradise, if you will, as they're in that, that place of paradise, they're going to come with Jesus to pick us up and take us home with God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, let's not confuse that with when you go to the cemetery, that the dead in Christ are in the cemetery. There are no Christians in the cemetery, right? Never has been, never will be, Okay. Because once we die, we go and be wherever it is, in that paradise place, wherever God appoints for us to be. And so the Christians are in paradise. And what the text is saying is that those who've gone on before us are going to come with Jesus. And when they come with Jesus, verse, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Jesus is never coming back to the earth again. Right? That kills the whole rapture theory. He's not sitting on a throne. He's already on the throne. He's always been on the throne, right? Kills the whole rapture theory. Don't get wrapped up in all that stuff, right? Maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to talk about the rapture and premillennialism and all that kind of stuff. Just kind of big words to a confusing text is all it is. You want to confuse Christians? Just give them a big word and start talking about it, right? What does that word mean? <laughs> um, so listen, verse 17 again. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so that's the end. So what's our goal? What's the end game for us as God's children? Heaven. Right? Live for Jesus in this life. And in the end, God will take us home. Whether we're alive when Jesus comes back, or we die before he returns, don't worry about it. You'll be in the hands of Jesus. You'll be just fine. Live faithfully to God until you leave this earth. That's what God asks us to do. But you can't live faithfully with God until you first become one of his people, one of his children. And you do that by surrendering to him in the waters of baptism, right? You believe his word. You say, okay, I believe it. I've heard it. I believe it. Now what are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm willing to repent. I want to change my life. Great. Now will you confess his name? Of course I will. I'll confess his name to all people. And then be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. This is it. The last dispensation of time. This is it.
live right for Jesus, and he'll take us home to be with him in the end. If there's anything that's been said to help you in some way, I thank God for that and give him all the glory. If there's anything we can do for you, please make that known. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Thank you, Lord, for loving me, and thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and saving my soul. Thank you.